We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Road of Wire College Football Podcast. We are ahead of week one of the college football season. Nick Whalen, joined as always by RotoWire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie. Uh, John, I, I have something that I want to admit. I want to get out in front of this story uh, first and foremost before we dive into anything college football related. I'm going to my first ever concert tonight in a matter of hours. First ever? First ever. So obviously there are some parameters here. I've been around live music a number of times. I, I've been near concerts. I, I was at the NBA All-Star Game one time and there was like a Travis Scott concert going on on the grounds but it was just something that was happening like you didn't need a ticket or anything this is the first concert that i'll ever be going to that required me to have a ticket to get in so you gained purchase of a t- and you're going to a real music venue this isn't like some like walking through Summerfest, like with a beer in your hand like just kind of like with a bunch of bands playing in your right. in your presence like you're actually going to see this artist can i ask who it is Okay, so notice that I chose my words carefully. I said a ticket was purchased. I did not purchase this ticket myself. It was purchased by uh, my roommate and landlord, Molly. Um, it, it, there's three bands performing. And technically, it is on the Summerfest grounds, but Summerfest doesn't begin until tomorrow. So this is like a separate thing that's just kind of like renting out the grounds, I guess, for this one night. Three bands are involved, none, none of which I would really ever want to go see individually or really collectively. Uh, I'm doing this as a gesture of goodwill. Follow Boy, Green Day, and Weezer. That's a good. There's like some good synergy between those three, though. Like I, I almost feel like it's better to see them all together than to see them separately. So I, I think yes. that you know one one hand washes the other hand washes the third hand in this particular instance. So I think that's good. And, and uh, speaking of landlords, uh, it is September first, folks. So um, pay your rent. I got to do that after this pod. By the time I woke up this morning, I had a Venmo request. From said roommate. So that rocks. On top of it. I, I feel like she like said it last night at midnight or something, just so like I would wake up and that'd be the first thing that I see. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not super pumped about it. I you know the nice thing is like these bands, like I would not I would not consider myself a fan of any of them. 
but I probably know at least like five songs from all of them. And, you know, they, they've all been popular enough that it's not like I'll just be sitting there, like not recognizing any of the sounds that are coming from the stage. Uh, my question to you is how would you rank these three? You, I feel like you're more of a music guy than me, especially more of like a rock music uh, guy. And I, I don't know if any of these are like in your top 10 bands or anything like that, but if you were to see them individually, like how would you rank them? Um, I would have to say um, Fall Out Boy 3, Weezer 2, uh, Green Day 1. Um, okay. I will I will say a, a fun little anecdote. Uh, 7th grade Johnny, or no, 8th grade Johnny, actually. So the 2005 American Idiot Tour oh, wow. uh, was happening literally right around this time. Oh, my God, 16 years ago. Um, my, myself, my friend RJ and, and Steven Macker, we, we got tickets, we went, uh, and we saw Jimmy Eat World open live or open up for Green Day and Green Day put on a heck of a show. I got, I gotta say, um, I, I think if you were to just go on, on the strength of one record from this group, uh, I think Weezer's Blue Album is the best of all of them, but I think, uh, on the, on the collective Green Day with Dookie, Nimrod, Warning, um, the, the list goes on. I think I kind of stopped paying attention after American Idiot um, and, and a handful of others. I feel like Green Day would be my number one of, of that trio. So that Green Day concert that you went to, was that part of like a Madden 2005 soundtrack tour? Yeah, it, in essence, yeah. We, we really were, were chasing that um, that whole summer. We, you, you know how it was. But I, oh, I mean, uh, it was, had a... Had shaggy hair, probably had like a Quicksilver T-shirt on. Had braces, just a, a real classic look for a, for an 05 eighth grader, and and uh, you know really leaned in and and uh, enjoyed that concert. And uh, man, yeah, Oof. got memories rushing back to me right now. <laughs> All right, let's get into some college football. Uh, I'll, we'll have a full review of how this concert goes. It's called the Hella Mega Tour, uh, <laughs> Mega, not Mega. Uh, so I, I don't know. I that that kind of. I feel like we're already getting off on the wrong foot with just calling it that, but I will provide a full review next week, uh, provided I, I survive this thing. Yes. Nebraska. Mm. What the hell, man? What was that? Illinois 30, Nebraska 22 in week zero. This is one that got away from Nebraska early. It was very clear, like two minutes into the game, this was going to be kind of a slot fest. Uh, it was 2 nothing Illinois at the end of the first, just for kind of you know imagery of what this game looked like. I, I mean, I not that Scott Frost's seat could really get any hotter, but this this is this could not be a worse start. You know, losing to Brett Bielema on top of it just being Illinois. It's uh, it's brutal times in Lincoln right now. We we talked about it last week on the pod, and and you know how things have gone through those first couple of years for for Frost. And I felt like the public was coming in pretty strong on, on Illinois last week. And I kind of wanted to, to fade off of that and just figured that Nebraska as a collective had a little bit more talent. Um, and that might still be the case, but um, according to Scott Frost himself, the way that Illinois lined up on defense eliminated literally half of Nebraska's playbook. Um, and he said that uh, out loud. We did not scout our opponent. So that's a problem. Uh, that That's definitely not good. And to your point, you know, with, with how, the opening points of the season being a safety on an ill-advised fielded punt um, that, that also resulted in, in the guy trying to throw it forward from the, I mean, it was just right. the, well, it was the right so, thing. it was so emblematic of how the Scott Frost era at Nebraska has gone. Like it, it just, it couldn't have gotten uh, any more metaphorically perfect uh, that, than that when it came to the, the, uh, the safety there. And, you know, Martinez, this is his, who knows how many years, it feels like he's been at Nebraska 
uh, for forever since Taylor Martinez almost, but he just, he's still, usually you can project some growth in these passers over, over the years, not happening, completes 50% of his passes. Basically all the yardage went to one guy, Oliver Martin. It, the only saving grace for, from a fantasy perantive which was nice for, for some DFS lineups was he did have a 75 yard touchdown so he still has that mobility of course but he's just gonna be brutal as a passer he he fumbles like almost no quarterback I've ever seen before so that they, they don't really have much in the way of depth behind him now that McCaffrey's gone either so they're gonna have to ride the, this Martinez train the rest of the year and it's it's off the rails already no relation between Adrian and Taylor right? That is correct. I, I believe that there there is none. It's uh, just a, a funny uh, little Nebraska coincidence. Right. Uh, UConn travels all the way across the country, furthest distance they've ever traveled for an opening game, 45 nothing Fresno State. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this game. Uh, you can offer some commentary if you want. Otherwise, we can move on to UCLA, which suddenly looking a little frisky. Yes. So the the one thing I'll, I'll note from the uh, from the Fresno State game is it was uh, literally a shoe melter. It was like 120 yeah. degrees on the field in Fresno. Um, so that was absurd. But that, that was really the only notable par- part of that game that and Jake Hayner cramped up at one point, but he'll, he'll be fine for, for this Oregon game coming up uh, this weekend. But yeah, no, UCLA. They covered that spread. So I think we, we were both we were right on both Fresno State and UCLA. Um, last week. Yeah, UCLA, they didn't have to show a whole lot. Like I think it was about a perfect game for them because Dorian Thompson-Robinson didn't have to do much. They didn't have to expose much of their passing game. So so LSU kind of goes into this without really getting a a full read on how uh, UCLA is going to attack them through the air. It's going to be tough for UCLA to do that. Um, But UCLA... That, that ground game that we were talking about, Zach Charbonnet, the, the Michigan transfer, and Britton Brown, they just were able to run all over Hawaii to the point where, I mean, Charbonnet had 100 yards and three touchdowns on six carries. So that shows you that, that A, the run game is clicking, and, th- and then B, that UCLA could have just kind of kept it in cruise control for the rest of the game, which they did, and their defense kind of helped uh, keep Hawaii in check there. That, that defense looks like it might be at least passable. Um, for this upcoming season, obviously Hawaii might be in bigger trouble than we thought. But either way, I mean, this is a game that that's uh, coming up with UCLA LSU that's going to be pretty interesting. But I mean, what did you have any other takeaways when it comes to uh, UCLA? Maybe uh, maybe Chip Kelly in the visor chance. Well, I mean, that was obviously the biggest takeaway I think right. from the weekend. I, I think that superseded even the melting shoes, which is a insane storyline like how has this never happened before by the way like i feel like there's been plenty of games where it's been super warm and that's a storyline early in the season like it was it really that much warmer are the cleats made of something different now than they were in the past i don't know i i just thought that was wouldn't surprise uh, me if yukon just like had shoes that melt like it, it's yeah. just like a, a, a this is a feature not a bug of our shoes it's a, it's a defense mechanism so our players lay down and can like go into their shells <laughs> right i i don't know what what is yukon's football sponsored by like what brand do we know? I don't know if that I want to say Nike because I, I believe that's still true of their basketball team. But that in my mind, they're a Russell Athletic school until further yeah. notice. Right. I was thinking like maybe that like McGregor brand that makes uh, like schoolyard like kickballs and things of that nature. Oh. <laughs> uh, but they, they they do appear to be they do appear to be Nike. OK. And, and you know, by all accounts, Nike's been pretty reliable in the shoe game. So I don't think that's the issue. Uh, I don't have too much to say about UCLA. I mean, I, I think. The biggest thing, like you said, is they cruised to a 34-point win 
you know, not over a great opponent. And, you know, it was at home. Not that there were a ton of fans there. It was essentially a scrimmage. But, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I didn't think, looked all that great. I mean, QBR of, of 41.8 in this game just goes 10 of 20 for 130. Um, and UCLA was in cruise control for most of the second quarter and the entire second half. It was 31 to 3 at the half. So at that point, you're just kind of running out the clock. And, and that's how you get to 244 yards on 43 carries from like eight different guys. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's encouraging at least to see a Chip Kelly team, even if the opponent isn't all that great, you know, still, even when the opponent knows you're going to run the ball the entire second half, still be able to keep it rolling. No, hundred, hundred percent when it comes to that. So I think that that's going to have to be their calling card. And, and uh, you know, that UCLA at the same time, they won't be able to, to out physical LSU, apparently LSU, the, the strength of their defense um, is really the, their defensive line, which is saying a lot um, that this is coming for, from my friends down in Louisiana. And this is even still considering that they have Derek Stingley and Elias Ricks as their outside corners. So that's pretty crazy to say. So we'll, we'll see if UCLA can even have close to a, a similar amount of success on the ground. I think that they'll be able to dial up some, some more looks, some more motion, maybe to get things rolling um, in the run game that this week to, they're going to need to use a little bit more smoke and mirrors is basically what I'm saying against LSU. Right. Um, but yeah, DTR, it all comes down to him um, because like you said, he, he didn't really look that impressive. Maybe he was, they were just trying to get some more like high difficulty downfield throws. They weren't really uh, peppering the tight end. Like we were expecting that that was kind of uh, the main staple of their pass game a year ago, the short stuff. So we'll have to see um, when it comes to that, but um, yeah, D DTR, his, he's going to have to definitely play play better this weekend. Like UCLA can still run the ball reasonably well, but at, at the end of the day, like this game, if they're going to keep it close, it's going to be because of DTR. Let's touch on the Thursday night slate uh, tomorrow night already uh, before we dig into what's going to be a, a huge Saturday slate. We even have a decent game, UNC and Virginia Tech on Friday uh, and a pretty nice game on Sunday as well. Uh, but a, a really, really robust week one. I, I read a couple articles this week that, that called this like arguably the greatest week one slate of all time. I mean, I, I have a little bit of pushback to that. I mean, I think week one of 2016, if I remember correctly, had a, a ton, a absolute ton of great games, ranked matchups. Not all of them lived up to their billing. I remember um, Alabama just destroying USC and USC looking completely out of sorts, but you had like UNC North Carolina that weekend. You had, um, I think Notre Dame, Texas on that Sunday. I think we had Ole Miss Florida state on that Monday night. We had some, some pretty good games in the, back in, back in 16, but this one, some, some years it feels like we get a little bit cheated on week one and, and they just kind of have the one feature game and not a whole lot of depth behind it. But, but this year, I mean, even the weeknight slates, like you're saying, pretty solid. I mean, UCF, Boise State, I mean, two of the best uh, group of five teams squaring off, uh, kind of putting where their mouth, money where their mouth is right off the bat, too. That's a nice little lead in to the weekend. And, and then, you know, like you said, there's a bunch of other ranked matchups um, along the way. A lot of Big Ten interest for, for me this mm -hmm. weekend, especially. I will say, as a, a Big Ten purist in a number of ways, uh, I don't love that we're playing big conference games right away week one um, as a fan of a team that often, you know, needs, needs a few games to, you know, kind of get the train rolling before, before reaching full speed. I don't love that. We have to go in and, and play Penn state right away. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it creates a, a hell of an environment, you know, for your first game. I don't love that. This is an 11 AM kickoff local time, by the way, Wisconsin's playing Eastern Michigan at night next week. Why are these times <laughs> not reversed? 
That yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. That that's crazy. I think at worst, Penn, Penn State Wisconsin should have been an afternoon game. I, I don't right. like the I don't like these these marquee new uh, noon Eastern, eleven a.m. Central. By the way, quick comment. Now that I live in in the Eastern time zone, yeah. I gotta say, hand up, Central time zone far superior. I, I know that eleven a.m. Really? kickoff for college students specifically is, is kind of a bummer, but I'm getting. It, it's it's getting late here, man. When when the fourth quarter comes on, and uh, my old bones can't can't handle the the one a.m. finish times of some of these college football games coming up. The way yeah. that uh, you know it hits different when it's just midnight. True, true. I, I'm kind of a night owl. I don't mind it. Like the Brewers are playing out on the West Coast right now at San Francisco. I, I'm loving these like eight fifty five first pitch. You know, it basically takes you right up till bedtime. You can just go right to bed. Um, but no, I, I I do sympathize with that. When when you were at Georgia, were you a like wake up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. To, to get prepared, we'll say, for an 11 a.m. kick? Uh, we, we definitely had those guys. I was, yep. I was usually on the later end of, of the uh, yep, wake-up call. I was on the second bus. Yeah, I was the second bus guy, um, but, but always the last to leave. So not the first guy to get to, get to the gym, but definitely the last right. to leave. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say if, if we had a noon kick, I, I'm, I'm up by 8 and I'm, and I'm running by 8.30 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was never a, you know, like go out till 2 a.m., wake up at 5.30, you know, go go pick up the keg from Regent Liquor down the street. Like that was mm-hmm. just like, I'll, I'll be there before the game starts. You know, I don't, because the problem is if you do that, you're sleeping from probably 2.30 to 6.30. And then you're setting yourself up for that, like extremely confusing wake up at like 6.30, 7. And then you, then it's a, it's a 50-50 chance if you're going right back to bed, if you're making it out, like if you're just setting yourself up for failure the rest of the day. And you're also missing big time college football action elsewhere in the country. Yeah, so so it's um it's really a cho- a choice, a dedication to, to one particular part of the game day, and that's fine. I think it's different strokes for different folks, um, but but yeah, I think that it leaves a couple of things off the table. And and for you, how does present day Nick Whalen prepare for this monumental Week One game for the Badgers? Man, I'll tell you what. Last year was such a weird year. Like, I, I honestly, by the end of the year, I like, I don't even think I watched full games. You know, I would, I would tune in, and then it just didn't. It, it just felt like the whole thing was like kind of a sham, I guess, and it didn't really matter. <laughs> uh, like, I got really pumped for. I, th- I think they played Illinois Week One. Yes, last and it was year. amazing. Took care, took care of business. Yeah, looked looked great. I was back on the wagon, and then with like all the COVID absences and whatnot, it was just it was just hard to follow. I mean, we we covered that on the pod pretty extensively. I, I have a tea time on Saturday morning uh, early enough that I, I should be able to, to get it in uh, right before, you know, basically finish up right as the game starts. So that's the plan kind of ease into the game. Uh, but there's, uh, again, there's so many good games on Saturday throughout the day that like as excited and nervous as I am for Penn state and, and Wisconsin, like I'm, I'm really excited to watch Alabama, Miami. I'm excited to, to keep an eye on Indiana, Iowa. Uh, obviously I'm excited for Georgia Clemson at night. So it, this kind of goes back to my theory where you, you just want to pace yourself. You want to make sure you're able to engage with all these games throughout the day. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't bite off more, more than you can do. And, and yeah, you, it sounds like you've got a great lineup. I have a buddy who's, I got to shout him out. This is, this is an absolutely crazy uh, weekend that he's got going on. So in Atlanta, so we're all down here. He's going to the tour championship tomorrow, then Friday staying in Charlotte uh, with, with a bunch of my buddies that are going to the game, then going to Georgia Clemson in Charlotte on Saturday. And then, so he's a Georgia graduate, but he's a, one of those guys whose family is all Notre Dame people. So he's a huge Notre Dame fan. Going to catch a one-way from Charlotte to Tally, 
and then go to the Notre Dame Florida State game on Sunday, and then uh, another friend of ours who's going to that is going is going to drive back. So I mean, wow. he is he's going the full marathon weekend. I'm I'm blown away by by the uh, by the dedication there. Reminiscent of Tony Stewart, you know, racing. I think he did the Indy 500 and the Coca Cola 600 in the same day. Took a <laughs> helicopter from from Indianapolis all the way down to Charlotte. Almost died. <laughs> It's going to be, yeah, I mean, similar levels of dehydration yeah. are in the forecast for him, for sure. In, in the NASCAR world, it's just known as double duty. Like, if you say, like, oh, yeah, I remember when that guy did double duty, people know what you're talking about. That is so cool. All right, we, I'm I'm referring to that for, uh, for him for this weekend, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so anyway, uh, like I said, like, 15 minutes ago, Thursday night, we have some appealing games. I think we have four ranked matchups. Uh, Citadel playing Coastal Carolina, Weber State in Utah, Ohio State, Minnesota, Minnesota, Uh, 14-point dogs in that game. Uh, Then we have Southern Utah and Arizona State. I I mean, to me, one of these games stands above the rest just because one of the opponents isn't going to be a complete pushover. Uh, But at the same time, you know, the opponent that Minnesota faces, it, you know, certainly has blowout potential in in any game that that you play against Ohio State. Um, So is Ohio State, Minnesota the headliner tomorrow, or are you keeping an eye on any of those other three? Um, I I think that 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 would be the one because it is, you know, I I do like how the Big Ten, or at least, you know, as as like a neutral observer and fan of competitive games early in the season, um, you know, that getting a game like Ohio State, Minnesota is definitely a solid little startup. Um, we saw a weird Minnesota team a year ago. However, I mean, they got stomped by Michigan to, to start the season. It almost tricked us into thinking Michigan was good. Um, they lose Rashad Bateman. They still have um, Mo Ibrahim, but I think that that's a, a team that uh, I think it takes it either stays status quo this year or, or takes a step back. So uh, if 2019 feels like a long time ago when it, when it comes to this Minnesota team. And I think that Ohio State, even though they're breaking in the new quarterback and even though it's on the road, I still like them to, to be able to um, go in there and, and win this one comfortably. I'm not comfortable enough to, to bet it necessarily with, with it being 14. Um, that, that's a tricky number to, to play around with. But um, I, I think that the, that is probably the, the headliner of the game other than the aforementioned or of the, of the Thursday slate, other than the aforementioned Boise State uh, UCF. I think both of those teams are, are pretty interesting. Uh, this year as well. I hope Minnesota goes defeated every year. So that's all I have to say about Respect. that. that I, root, I root harder against Minnesota football than I think I do any team in any sport. Uh, Friday night, not not as much of a, a star-studded slate on Friday. Uh, although, I mean, the Big Ten back in vogue, the uh, primetime ESPN game, Michigan State at Northwestern. ESPN.com tells me tickets are available for as low as $27.00. That seems pretty high, to be honest. For, for the yes, I was. Ex- I've seen. I've price. seen that. I we've seen those games just from looking at that page over the years. We've seen Hilarious. games of a similar matchup be like three dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I really don't understand it. Um, I mean, you you could go to Alabama Miami at, at Mercedes Benz for ninety six dollars on Saturday. That's what I'm told. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's a something to consider. That's not too shabby, right there. No, uh, but the headliner on Friday, number 10, North Carolina at Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech, only a five and a half point dog in this game, unranked, uh, but obviously always a difficult opponent, especially when you're playing at Lane Stadium. Uh, any read on this game? Uh, any any kind of, does, wait, does DraftKings or FanDuel offer like single game DFS for college football? Uh, they do. There are, there are showdown slates. Um, I had more so looked at this one in, in just like the, the, uh, broader Friday slate it, itself, but but um, 
you know, when, when it comes to this one, we're going to basically get to see what North Carolina looks and Sam Howell look like when they don't have Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Daz Newsom, and, and Deami Brown. So a lot of guys that they're going to be replacing here on the road. But the one, the one constant, of course, is Sam Howell, who's one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football and has been for two years now. So I think that that will be enough. And Mac Brown got to hand it to him. I, I, I had a lot of doubts about the, you know, the, uh, the senior circuit coaches from a couple of years ago, whether it was Herm or whether it was Mac Brown, whether they were going to be able to, and Arizona state running into a lot of problems right now. But um, Mac Brown, at least from what we know has, has been all above board and been pulling some really excellent recruits. Um, finally, the ACC, you know, kind of has another, they're not quite on Clemson's level, but they're, they're pulling into that territory where they're clearly recruiting at the second highest level in that conference. And, and they're, you're, they're getting at least a five-star every class. So it's not just that they're, they're, they're losing the, those guys, but you figure now that the talent that they're replacing with is completely legit. So, so despite those experience concerns, you know that the bodies that they're reloading with um, are, are going to be, you know, quality, quality players. Am I wrong to be surprised that he's been able to recruit that well in no. North Carolina? Like, I, I, the guys you're recruiting, like they don't they don't remember that 05 Texas team at all. You know that this guy is a, a very old man whose you know accomplishments date back you know well before you know these guys you know kind of are, like I said are, they're not really conscious of, of um, you know what what his like big time accomplishments were at Texas. Like, what is what is the secret? Like, do they have a great recruiting staff? Has this kind of been a a mini sleeping giant program that's just waiting for the right voice. I, I think that North Carolina has been slept on as a really talent rich program. And, it, and it's been a while for um, a single in-state program to really take advantage of it before, you know, Georgia, Clemson, even Tennessee um, would kind of go into North Carolina and poach the best players. I mean, Todd Gurley was a North Carolina guy. I think Keith Marshall might've been um, as well. We've seen Jordan Davis, uh, the defensive tackle for Georgia. He's a North Carolina guy, but since Mac has gotten there, uh, they signed a, a five-star cornerback. His name's Tony Grimes. Um, obviously, they, they flipped Sam Howell from Florida State it, within his first couple of months on the job. So I don't know if it is that that support staff uh, that Mac has put together. If, if it is, then then he's done an amazing job with that. But I, I imagine at this stage in his career, he he's got it set up to where he's delegating a lot, and he's kind of like the closer at the end, and he's got – guys that are right in the right prime of, of their coaching careers um, that are able to get these guys interested. And there's so much positive momentum around the North Carolina football program now to where um, they, you have to expect when there's the number, when you're looking at like the top five players in the state of North Carolina in a given recruiting class, that they're going to walk away with at least two of them. And that, that's a big, big statement given uh, the talent again, that, 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 that North Carolina is producing as a state. All right, let's look at the monster slate on Saturday. Like, like I said before, I mean, many are saying uh, arguably the greatest week one slate that we've ever seen. Penn State, Wisconsin, probably the headliner in the early window, uh, although you'll have plenty of games to choose from. Uh, hopefully this is a multiple TV day. Uh, if you're in possession of two TVs, uh, oh, maybe yeah. you have to drag the laptop out, drag the tablet. Uh, there's going to be a ton of action on early. Uh, the only other ranked game, though, in that 11 a.m. window is Oklahoma uh, playing, supposed to play, I think, at Tulane. Yes. Uh, or I don't know if that was going to be neutral. I, I don't know. How, how did Tulane get Oklahoma to agree to that game in the first place? Obviously, it will not be played there due to the hurricane. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's one of uh, the great mysteries. That, that's one that must have been put on the put on the uh, 
stone tablets a few years ago. I don't, I don't remember that one right. specifically getting scheduled in, in Oklahoma agreeing to open its season um, away from Norman, especially to, to face off against a, a non premier opponent necessarily. I think that they they've since agreed on the back end to have Oklahoma go to Tulane at some point in the next couple of years as, as like a make good for, for this one. Uh, but either way, uh, tough, uh, Tough couple of chain of events here when it when it comes to uh, Tulane uh, now having to open their season at Oklahoma after looking forward all off season to and then of course on the hurricane front so yeah this is a uh, yeah that that'll be an interesting one thirty one and a half points is a, is a lot um, but I, I think it's hard to really bet against Oklahoma against you know almost anybody when when it comes to are they going to be able to ma- to match that point total so um, yeah that. That's a tricky one. Tulane's feisty. I will give them that the roll wave, but man, Oklahoma, I think that, I mean, this is the, this could be the best Oklahoma team under Lincoln Riley and they've had some great ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not that you ever are too worried necessarily about like Tulane putting up a huge fight in this game. I, I think it's more about how many points does Oklahoma want to score? You know, how, how much is that defense going to lock down in the fourth quarter of a game that, you know, could be a 40 point spread at that point. But I mean, Tulane, you also have to consider Tulane has not been able to practice in new Orleans either. I, I saw they were on the road practicing at Alabama's facility yep. earlier this week. I mean, that, these guys are out of their element, you know, presumably, you know, w- without a lot of the the comforts that you normally have preparing for a game at home. Um, it, it's just going to be a weird situation. I mean, they were going to be huge underdogs no matter what. And then you throw in all of the hurricane related complications. I, again, I, I'm never going to be like stone cold lock over 31 and a half points, you know, on this spread, but you know, if, if you're going to bet a spread this big, it makes me feel good that the the side that's already disadvantaged is facing even more complications. Um, and the side that expected to be on the road for this game now gets to stay home and, and play it in front of their home fans. Yeah, exactly. So I think you really hit the nail on the head there when it when it comes to, to this one. Um, yeah, if, if you're if you were on the fence about it, everything that, that's happened this week would, would steer you a little bit more um, in, in Oklahoma's direction. Yeah, they, they are. Yeah, they're just a ridiculous team, and apparently, they there there's rumors that they might have a defense this year. We'll we'll see if really? that, if that if that comes to fruition or not. But but many are saying that that Oklahoma actually uh, has a little bit of a backbone on that side of the ball now. I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, if, I if mean the spirit of Rodney Poole is still alive. I think that's that's the last time I remember like Oklahoma having a legitimate defense. Uh, Penn State, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, five and a half point favorites at home in this game. I, I don't know how to feel about this. I, I tell you what, I would not bet Wisconsin to cover five and a half. I would, I would bet Penn state in fact, to, mm-hmm. to, to cover that number. I, I think it's a close game. I, I think there are a lot of question marks with Wisconsin. We, we saw a, a team that I think was extremely difficult to evaluate last year, given the moving pieces, given everything that was happening you know, in the conference and, and in the country with college football. So it, it feels like you kind of have to wash that away. I, I, I think Graham Mertz, the, the player has not really proven as much as his name would imply. Like I, it, it feels to me that at least in, in this part of the country, he's still kind of coasting on the recruiting reputation. He is. That makes sense. And he, and he hasn't been bad, but I, I think people are talking about him. Like he's already put down like a really good borderline dominant season. And, you know, he's had some really nice games, but he's also had some games where he hasn't looked all that good. He hasn't looked all that ready. Um, so I, I, I think there's kind of this notion of, all right, Wisconsin finally has a star quarterback. I, I don't feel like I'm ready to annoy him on that level yet. I think that that's the right perspective you should have. And it's not an easy one to, to, um, to do to, you know, when you're, when your team gets a star recruit and you, 
how long do you give them the rope? And then how, until you start to feel like, okay, this is another kind of lackluster performance. Like I remember a lot of Georgia fans took a long time to, and then it, get, it got solved by, by him getting hurt and Jake Fromm coming in. But uh, Jacob Eason, you know, he was kind of anointed as the savior of the program after some, some down years following Aaron Murray. And yeah, it just felt like he was only known as a recruit essentially. And then uh, he just wasn't really producing that much on the field. So, so it feels a little bit like, and he came from a, a sort of non-traditional place to produce a, a five-star quarterback, kind of similar to Graham Mertz to, to a different extent, Eason from Washington, uh, Mertz from Kansas. But yeah, we, we've yet to really see Mertz string together those dominant performances. Everyone remembers that, that opener, like we mentioned earlier, against Illinois, but it's a question of consistency. I mean, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, he was rotating out during the bowl game because he couldn't get the signals in on time. I mean, that that's just stuff that is feels kind of inexcusable, and it's not like he was a true freshman um, last year anyway. So um, all of this is to say that um, Wisconsin is going to need to really be able to, to move the ball on the ground uh, Jalen Berger has been dinged up a bit during fall camp. The, the Clemson transfer Ches Malusi, um, I believe, is projected or listed as the starting running back in this yeah. one. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. That very interesting for for fantasy purposes. Of course, Berger was a guy that a lot of people were taking like the third, fourth round of their drafts. So if he if he's in backup status, that 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 turns into a, a tough um, pick for sure. But uh, zooming it back out, and I want to get your opinion on this. I feel like these are the two teams with like the least applicable sample fr from a year ago, COVID wise, because it felt like Wisconsin obviously had a bunch of, of upheaval and, and cancellations and stuff like that. And they just looked like Jekyll and Hyde from week to week. And I feel like similar things can be said about Penn state. I mean, this is a Penn state team that on like the blue chip ratio, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but I imagine they're a top 10 team in terms of overall composite talent but they're also a team that got completely smoked by the university of Maryland last year. Like what, what do you do with that 2020 sample? It's, it's really hard to know exactly because you know, they have talent coming into this year, but can you completely wash away the, those complete letdown efforts that they had last season? Yeah, I think that's a great way to frame it. I mean, I, I, again, I'm surprised at the line. I, I think it should be a little bit closer just because, like you said, neither of these teams, I, I felt like, made much of a statement in a positive light last season. And talent-wise, Penn State is, is the vastly superior team, right, from from top to bottom. Yep. And, you know, if you're talking recruiting, um, it's really not all that close. So, you know, to me, if you're if you're kind of saying, all right, last year was a wash, um, we're, we're really not sure how this is going to look. Obviously, you, you give, you know, some points for, for playing at home. But, I mean, it's – I think this is going to be a really close game. I would be surprised if, if Wisconsin wins comfortably – um, I, I'd say I say take Penn State plus five and a half right now, and I, I think I would go I would go under fifty points, which isn't a ton, uh, but these are two teams with a lot of defensive talent. I think Wisconsin's defense has a chance to be really good. Um, that 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 um, front four is is really solid, and I just I don't know. We'll see, man. We'll see. I, I, as you can tell, I, I don't feel super confident about Wisconsin coming out and making a statement on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great game, and I, I think. All told, I like Wisconsin to win this one by a field goal. So with that in mind, I, I do like Penn State covering the, the five and a half. That feels like a little bit too much to, to be um, trusting Wisconsin with in a season opener, even though they are at, at home just because of the, the, uh, the, the nature of, of that opponent. I just looked it up. Uh, Penn State, uh, according to 24-7, to uh, their composite, 
thirteenth most uh, talent uh, talented roster um, in the country, and in Wisconsin, I don't believe I see them on that list. It, they they only stopped it at like have to keep eight, at eighteen, but um, you know that that just kind of goes to show um, mm-hmm. what Penn State's bringing in here. So um, that even though last year again was an unmitigated unmitigated disaster for them. Um, I, I think that they're a pretty lively underdog in this one. I think that they, they will be able to keep it close, but I, I still think in the end, Wisconsin, the continuity, the, the, the culture, the home game, uh, all of that will, will end in a, in a narrow Wisconsin victory. I think there's a chance the Badgers are dealing with some karma issues for not offering a scholarship to Rondane's son, and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, in the afternoon window, 2.30 Central kickoffs, 3.30 McKechnie time, Alabama-Miami, the clear headliner, but we have a 17th-ranked Indiana against 18th-ranked Iowa, that one in Iowa City. Iowa State, 7th-ranked, also in action. They get Northern Iowa, uh, no line on that game. Uh, obviously, Iowa State will be heavily favored. We got Texas, and I don't like that they're they're listing Louisiana-Lafayette as just Louisiana. Like, that's not happening. You're not, you don't just get to be Louisiana. You're, you're Louisiana-Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. They've been working around in those shoes for a couple years now, man. I know. But you got to just put it out there. You got to put the PSA out there. I get it. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I I think I said the exact same thing early last year. Like, it's just not happening. Like, whatever whatever you were listed on on NCAA football 2006, that's what I'm calling you. That's what you are, pal. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, let's let's start with Alabama, Miami. That one, that one, you know, the clear headliner. uh, That that's to me right up there uh, with the game that we get on Saturday night, Georgia and Clemson. Okay. I, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good game. And, and actually, um, you know, so Bill, Bill Connolly, kind of one of like the, the, the fathers of college football sabermetrics. I mean, his, his S&P plus um, numbers when it comes to uh, factoring in your bets for a given week are, are a must read. And I'm looking at them for, for this week and I see the projected uh, margin of, of outcome be Alabama just nine and a half. And then you look at, at a 10 point, uh, difference between the the spread there where it's uh, Alabama 19 and a half that's you don't really see differences like that between Vegas and, and Bill Connolly's numbers uh, very often so it, uh, I just am wondering what would cause that that disparity I'm but my guess is that Bryce Young just his impact might not be properly accounted for in this one I think Miami lost a fair amount of talent uh, off of its roster from from last season, and uh, well, they, they bring back most of their offensive starters. They they did lose Brevin Jordan. They get the quarterback back. They get the backfield um, all rolling, so that there is some continuity there. But at the same time, this is an Alabama team that can lose as many players as you want, and they're just going to reload with someone almost as good or, or better. So. All of that just kind of leads me to believe that that Bryce Young and company are going to be able to take care of business. And I, I think that Miami might be able to put up a good fight. If you want to back Miami, maybe in the first half, them coming out spirited first game of the year, going up against the defending champs. Um, if you can get a line on, on that first half number, then all for it. But I think when this game is over, I do believe that, that Alabama has a three score uh, margin of victory here. So I, I would still uh, lean with the tide to cover that big number. Yeah, let me be clear. I, I don't think this is going to be nearly as good of a game as we're getting in the primetime window. Uh, but I just always enjoy watching really fun teams that have really fun athletes. And yes. I think both of these teams qualify for that. Miami with Derek King at the quarterback position and Alabama with everybody at every position. Yep. Like I, I'm very much looking forward to being introduced to like the new class of future first round pick Alabama receivers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
it's going to be, you know, seriously, like it, with um, with Devontae and with, with Waddle gone, that the, uh, I mean, it's crazy that Nick Saban was able to lock in the, the greatest recruiting class of all time at this age, but he did it um, at, for, for this cycle. So these freshmen, it's basically, you know, kind of like what you're talking about with this week one being held up as one of the best, if not the best of all time. I think the measuring stick for recruiting classes is, is Alabama's 2017 recruiting class that just finished getting drafted this past April. This recruiting class on paper is better than that, and that's terrifying. It's the background of the SEC. <laughs> Many are saying. I think they're they're only like a couple months apart age-wise, but yeah. you, you never know it. Saban hides it extremely well, always has. Like he, you could tell me he's like 54 or like 78, and one of, like somewhere in the middle would probably seem right. Um, Indiana-Iowa, do you have any leans here? Uh, Vegas likes this to be a really close game. Iowa favored by three at home. Uh, we got a total here of 45 and a half. I actually really like Iowa in this spot. I know that Indiana has some names that they probably have the edge and quarterback in this one with Michael Penix and, and you know, Ty Freifogel coming back, um, retooled their, their backfield a little bit. They've got um, Stephen Carr uh, running back transfer from USC. He's going to be starting for them. So some interesting pieces on that Indiana offense, but I don't like anybody basically going into Iowa city, let alone week one, this is a good Iowa team. They've got a lot of just dudes that, that I think they have the next classic Iowa offensive lineman that's going to get um, drafted high uh, come next spring. They've got uh, one of the best run games in the Big Ten as well. There's just so much going for Iowa. And then them being at home as well, I like them to be able to win this one uh, by more than a field goal. I imagine this will be a, a low-scoring affair. I think a, a safe guess if I were to, to do it score-wise, it would be Iowa – um, 24 and Indiana 20. That That's how I would go with it. Yeah. So. I was going to say like Iowa, I don't know, five, Indiana two. <laughs> something, something along that level. Yeah. I, I think we go I'm on the push, probably, baby. <laughs> I think we go under that 45 and a half. That's, that's just kind of an automatic with, with any big 10 game at this point. Uh, do, do you have any leans on, I, I guess I'll, I'll say it how they want us to say it. This Louisiana uh, at Texas game. This is one of the more interesting lines of the entire week. I can't say that I have an angle on it just yet. Um, I think Louisiana, by they they do, according to, to Bill Connolly's returning production metrics, um, have the most experienced team uh, in the in the country. They bring back 93% of their offense, offensive production and 98% of their defensive production from a year ago. So that's pretty crazy continuity there. Billy Napier's done a great job. But at, at the end of the day, this is still – a Texas team that, that Herman didn't leave a, a, a bear cupboard, even though he didn't do a very good job with, with the talent that they had there. I think Sark should be able to, um, to do a better job with it. I don't know. I, I, as I'm saying this, I'm having flashbacks of, of Herman's first game against Maryland at Daryl K Royal and they lost that game. And it's, a, you know, it's supposed to be this grand entrance for, for Herman and they falls flat so you can't write that out of out of the realm of possibilities for for Texas to fall flat here. It just feels like that that is kind of their lot in life as a program right now is big expectations and and even more spectacular failures. Um, so all this is a rambling way to say that I'm not sure how to bet on this one. I, I think that I would probably go with Texas, but but you, their their fail factor is pretty real when it, when it comes to them versus some of these other um, you know big name programs. So you can't you can't. Uh, write that out in Louisiana, definitely a live dog in this one. The other game uh, in that kind of mid to late afternoon window, San Jose State at USC. 
Uh, not a lot to say there. USC, 14-point favorites. Pretty high over-under, 59-and-a-half in that one. I, I think I would shade uh, toward backing USC there. Just a massive uh, difference in talent. And, and USC getting that game at home. Two touchdowns really doesn't seem all that bad. Uh, but let's get to the, the big-time headliner, John. John McKechnie's Georgia Bulldogs at the Clemson Tigers. Uh, this one will be played, I, I guess, technically a neutral site. Uh, not necessarily all that neutral. A little bit closer to Clemson. Uh, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. The line on this one, Clemson minus three, the over-under 51 points. So th- this is obviously the game that, that people have penciled or circled, you know, since the end of last season, uh, since Alabama was having the confetti fall down and we started to look ahead for the upcoming year. And I, I know I have Georgia colored uh, glasses on, but I'll try to be as, as objective as I can for uh, the analysis of this game. Um, I, I think that when you look at Clemson, obviously they get Justin Ross Bass, it, Justin Ross back. You get uh, DJ Uyunglele, um back there at quarterback. We, we were totally impressed by what we saw of him a year ago. Um, I, I think that having Ross out there um, is a significant over improvement over, I mean, Cornell Powell and Amari Rogers are, are, were really good players there, should stick in the NFL, but Ross is a, a different level of talent. They lose Travis Etienne, but they, they have a stable of backs. Lynn, Lynn J. Dixon, this kid, Will Shipley. So the talent's all there. But what we saw uh, to be Clemson's undoing a year ago was their offensive line, right? Like it, uh, we saw Tommy Togiai and the rest of the Ohio State defensive line just basically form a wrecking crew um, through Clemson's offensive line and just kind of blew things up, made Trevor Lawrence really uncomfortable throughout that game. And that's a problem because I think that you can have those similar concerns about Clemson going into this game. And specifically, Davos Swinney has come out and said, and I'm not saying that this is a frost level of uh, mistake to say this out loud, but they're talking about rotating centers in this one. That feels like that feels really like a bad idea when Jordan Davis is on the other side of you or Jermaine Carter. So um, that's, that's a lot to be dealing with a lot to be accounting for in that one. But, you know, I, I think that even if Georgia starts to win that, 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 um, that battle in the trenches when, when Clemson has the ball, the, uh, the other part of the equation that needs to come through is that Georgia needs superstar level production from its offense and its quarterback in order to, to really make this happen. I mean, we, again, you could say that uh, the Ohio State defense taking over last year is a big part of it. But Fields played the best game of his career like bar none at, at the same time. So like that was the perfect storm and that's what it took to, to beat Clemson. So I think that, that even if that comes to fruition for Georgia, where, where uh, Clemson's offense is a little bit off kilter, Georgia needs to take advantage of that when they have the ball um, and, and be able to put up points, um, whether they're running the ball. I, th- I imagine they're going to run the, or lean on the run maybe more than they would have liked, but their, their pass catching personnel is really dinged up. No Reek Gilbert, no George Pickens, uh, Kiaris Jackson dealt with some injuries during the during the fall. So did Jermaine Burton. So a lot of guys that that were dealing with with bumps and bruises. So Georgia, I think that they'll lean on that stable of running backs. But Daniels is going to have to be able to make throws um, when he's called upon to do so, and he doesn't have much of a running threat to him. And you also have the fact that Clemson has the best edge personnel, and they have their entire returning starting defense. As well, I mean the the edge personnel, Brian Brissy, Miles Murphy, it's nuts. It, it's absolutely crazy. Both those guys could probably be 
be on NFL rosters if they were allowed to right now. So um, Georgia being able to stem that uh, Clemson pass rush is, is their key to the game. And on Clemson's side, it's going to be able to, to um, keep that interior front from collapsing uh, in front of DJU. Yeah, I mean, Clemson especially, it feels like kind of in that Alabama boat where mm-hmm. there's just so much turnover. Like a lot of the names that you were used to, especially on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Lawrence, ETN, Amari Rogers, like all those guys, you know, kind of moving on to the NFL. We're going to be introduced to a whole new class of, of guys who are probably going to be in our lives at least through the next two years. Some of these guys, maybe the next three or four years, depending on how they develop. But yeah, it, it, it does make this game tough to evaluate, you know, when, when such a dominant class, you know, moves on and, and guys that you you feel like you have a better grasp of, of evaluating, but man, when you're replacing those guys with, with players who are just as good, if not better, it's going to be a, a monster dogfight. This, I, I read this morning, this is our, our best uh, in terms of like ranked versus ranked the, the highest ranked, I, I assume this is just like average rank between the two teams, highest ranked week one game since 2017, Alabama against Deandre Francois led FSU. Yes, uh, Francois went down with that killer yes, patellar yes, injury in, the, in that one. In the world. <sighs> yeah. Oh no, that was his backup. Really? Francois was was kind of tankish, but uh, no, his backup, James Blackman, now no, at no, no, uh, Arkansas you're totally State. Right. Yes, yep. you're totally right. I was thinking of James Blackman. He's <laughs> he, the skinniest man. He's in the world. still skinny. He is still the <laughs> the skinniest dude there. Yeah. He's a uh, he's at Arkansas State now. But man, yeah, that's a throwback as well. But um, yeah, no, I think that that checks out, man. This, these are two just really, really dominant programs. Obviously the difference between the two of them is Clemson having two titles um, in the last five years, Georgia still waiting for theirs for their first one uh, since 1980. But I think both of these teams you can see um, has the goods to, to win the title this year. Um, I, I think whoever wins this game, their season is set in, in an absolutely great direction. The rest of the way, I think that you would expect Clemson to run the table um, I think you could almost expect either team to, to run the table after this one. This one uh, is more of a coin flip. Uh, Georgia will have a tougher time getting into the playoff because they will still have to win uh, the SEC. Uh, Clemson obviously would have to win the ACC, but that's a, they've proven that they are pretty good at doing that. Um, but yeah, this, this sets up a, as a huge monumental matchup, and I think that both of these teams will be high in the playoff rankings come December as well. Yeah, like you said, I mean, you're obviously set up well. That goes without saying if you win this game. Um, but, you know, a lot of the previews that, that I've listened to and read the last couple of weeks are like, yeah, you know, it's not the end of the world if you lose. Um, you know, like with, with the, the way that these teams are set up conference-wise, you know, it doesn't knock you out. Like you, if you run the table the rest of the way, you're good. But, I mean, if you win, you can kind of look at it the other way. It's like then you could probably afford a loss somewhere along the way. I mean, it's I, I, I don't want to trivialize like it, it is week one, like it is a long season. You know, I, I think you want to hate that you want to avoid the narrative um, that it's like if you lose week one, your season's over and, you know, your final 12 games are completely meaningless. But, man, I mean, this this sets you up really well. You know, if you, if you win that game, I, I don't think it could be understated that, you know, this is a massive, massive mark in your favor early on that even if you lose to a team that's considered, you know, vastly inferior to you along the way, that might be forgiven by this game. Yeah, I, th- I think it probably would. Um, yeah, this, this is just such a huge matchup in, in that sense. And everyone's going to remember exactly everything about this game. It, it's funny how a lot of the times these week one games can really stick out in our memory, maybe maybe overweight in our, in our memories a little bit. But at the same time, uh, whoever wins this one will, will have a bit of forgiveness on the back end if they were to slip up. I, I would 
I would not expect Clemson to, or I, I mean, I'm not saying that you were, you would say that you'd expect either of these teams to slip up along the way, but, but, you know, just in theory, by virtue of winning this game, uh, you carry a lot of, of cachet, uh, presumably with, with how the rest of your regular season progresses, as long as it's only one loss. Any thoughts on UCLA and LSU, LSU going all the way out to Pasadena for this one or Notre Dame, Florida state on Sunday night. So the, uh, for the LSU-UCLA, um, this is going to be really interesting. I'm, I was surprised to see the line check in where it was. And uh, looking at, at, at the S&P projection for, uh, for this one, saying that UCLA is going is uh, by their numbers going to win this one by one point. So that, that definitely puts this in consideration that, that at least UCLA um, is a live dog, is a team that, that you know, with, with the spread that narrow, maybe you consider – uh, going the money line route on, on UCLA if if you're doubting what what LSU has um, LSU tons of talent uh, on both sides of the ball but they're they're going to be missing some of it um, their backfield should be okay but obviously no Miles Brennan they're going to have to go with with Mac Johnson at quarterback Mac Johnson Max Johnson was uh, really good at the end of last season we'll see if he can continue it they got Keishon Boutte the next great LSU receiver, of course. So a lot of firepower to work with on that offense. Um, it really comes down to, like we like we mentioned earlier on, if if DTR uh, of UCLA is able to perform and specifically perform better than he did a week ago, uh, make the plays that they need to, to win this one because UCLA won't be able to get away with only uh, running the ball down LSU's throat. That's just not going to happen this time around. So this game, I think at the very least, it's gone from one that I, I was – mildly interested into like i'm pretty excited to see how this one um shakes out it kicks off an hour after the the georgia uh clemson game but i'll definitely be keeping an eye on the score keep that um on the second tv but it as it stands i will still uh pick lsu to win this one but i think it is very interesting that the numbers point to a path where, where ucla um gets the dub here and then uh sunday notre dame florida state it's gonna be awesome seeing mackenzie milton back on a football field um, after what happened to him a, f- a couple of years ago, that's very exciting. They haven't officially named him the starter just yet, but that's that's awesome. And and for you, you got to be so excited to see Jack Cohn out there again. I guess, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he definitely will be playing football. Um, no, I mean, I just I'm just terrified that like, what if he out, outplays Graham Mertz? Uh, not only you know this week, but but this year. Uh, obviously, Mertz's talent. I think we hope wins out in the long run, but. It's not really fun. This this never happens to Wisconsin. I've never really been in this position where like a Wisconsin transfer, um, you know, has a chance to kind of burn you somewhere else. Like usually nobody's like really angling to get any players that leave Wisconsin. Yeah, no, that's um, <laughs> I mean, lots of other schools that have seen their their high profile transfers go go elsewhere and do well. Right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have those same like uh, Jack Cohn is he doesn't have to be your Justin Fields. I, I wouldn't feel that that worried about it. Right. That, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Like, what if he's Justin Fields? What if he's what if he's starting for the Bears next year? <laughs> Notre Dame does, don't they play at Soldier Field? Uh, is that where the Wisconsin Notre Dame game is? Yep. So that one's at Soldier Field. They were supposed to play at Lambeau Field last year. Uh, of course, that one got moved back. It, it's right. going to be played at some point. Um, weirdly, though, the game at Lambeau was going to be a home game for Notre Dame. So Wisconsin is technically playing at home at Soldier Field. <sighs> That uh, I don't know how they come up with this. Why? Why can't they just right. let like the reasonable outcome just 
surface, but oh well, right. they're they're doing they're doing whatever it is that they're that they're going to do with yeah. with those home away designations. I don't love it either, uh, but you know it's, it's it's the only choice we have. I'm going to watch it regardless. Um, let's take a look at the DFS slate real right. quickly, and and I know you you haven't you know fully dug in on this yet. There'll be a ton more content coming to RotoWire.com. Uh, I know you have some radio hits, you know, where you dig into this stuff as well uh, as the week progresses. But we could kind of do a, an over, a, overall, you know, lay of the land. Um, we won't we won't go position by position in as much detail as we normally do. But you know, give me the games uh, that that you're you're more interested in targeting as opposed to you know certain players or value plays. Um, so I think I think the name of this uh, slate really begins with Oklahoma. They've got the highest implied total at fifty. Um, the way I'm approaching them is I'm thinking Rattler, but maybe Rattler and Rattler alone because I think that they just have such a deep group of pass catchers. Um, I think it would be naive to think that only Marvin Mims is going to eat. I think that, you know, Jaden Hazelwood or, or you know, any number of these other uh, Oklahoma pass catchers, even even the tight end uh, can get involved here. So uh, keep, an, keep an eye for maybe some of those Oklahoma values if you want to pair uh, Rattler. But I think you can still construct a really strong lineup um, with Rattler alone fr- from that Oklahoma offense. Obviously, he, he's going to be pricier, but I think that he can uh, still be well worth it. Um, I'm interested that Michigan has the second highest implied total on this one. They don't have a lot of sexy names on, on that offense um, just yet, and I'm not sure that I'm, I'm throwing Cade McNamara into my lineups, but um, maybe you take a look at the run game uh, for Michigan with, with Haskins. Uh, see see if he can get something rolling. Maybe their their freshman Donovan Edwards. He he's a uh, he was a big time recruit as well. Michigan's leading in this one. They might they might go in, into their backfield rotation a little bit. And Western Michigan, um, a, as fun as they are, I don't think that they will have the physical uh, presence necessary to to really um, contend over the course of sixty minutes in this one. Um, and I, I think also Alabama obviously is a, is a team I'm targeting. I, I'm trying my best to just make a lineup or at least for my initial builds where I have Rattler, I have Bryce Young in, in my super flex, and then I have Bijan Robinson at, at running back out of Texas. So those are my three kind of splash buys. And then I'm trying to hunt value um, from other games with, with high um, expected score or teams with high expected scores, uh, games with, with high um, implied total. So that that's, that's, kind of the direction that I'm leaning in for, for the most part. Um, and, and one, uh, one guy I'll, I'll highlight as well, or a couple guys, Deuce Vaughn, 6,300 at running back, another really solid choice. Uh, Stanford's their run defense last year was atrocious. 222 rush yards per game allowed. That was 112th in the country. Deuce Vaughn also a big factor in that pass game. So you got to figure he's going to be uh, heavily involved there as well. And then uh, Jaden Wally, the, the receiver for Miss State, came on really, really strong last year. Um, so I, I expect him to, to do well against Louisiana Tech um, this week. So, um, yeah, th- those are my general targets. I will have the, the full um, full DraftKings write-up. Chris Benzine will have the full FanDuel write-up. Those are both coming on Friday, and we'll also have uh, DFS slate write-ups um, for the Thursday as well. Look, if, if Zine's writing, you got to be reading. That's oh, what buddy. That's down to. That's right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the subject is, especially if it's college football. Uh, that is a must-read every single week. Uh, let's get into some bets, and then we'll get out of here, John. Uh, what are some of your favorite picks for this week? We, we've probably touched on a few of them as we've gone game to game. Yes. So, so we we have touched on on the deep dive. So I'll just throw out the the ones that I'm I'm looking at for real. Uh, UNC minus five and a half at Virginia Tech. I like Penn State to cover five and a half 
at Wisconsin. I like the Michigan State money line plus 138 going on the road to face uh, Northwestern. That, that game, uh, I believe it's a field goal is the spread uh, in favor of Northwestern. So I like Michigan State to win that one outright. I like Iowa, again, to cover three against Indiana. I like the Maryland money line plus 125. Um, against the traveling West Virginia Mountaineers. I think that Maryland is a pretty interesting team this year. They showed some flashes. They got pretty much everyone back from the from the uh, group of pass catchers. If, if uh, Talia Tagovola, Tagovailoa uh, takes another step, then that's a dangerous passing game. I like Bama to cover that big number, 19 and a half. And I like the Ohio money line going up against Syracuse. They're hosting Syracuse. I I don't trust Syracuse as far as I can throw them. I can't throw Syracuse very far. So give me the Bobcats. You'll have to tune into my separate uh, Ohio Bobcats sports podcast for for my full insight on that game. <laughs> uh, I did not have a lean on Ohio and Syracuse. <laughs> I, I like Ohio State minus thirteen and a half. I saw that number on FanDuel. I think it's a little bit higher uh, at some of the other books, but thirteen and a half uh, against a, a Minnesota team that. Is going to be pretty outclassed in terms of talent. A uh, Minnesota team that I hate, a Minnesota team that's coached by a man who coaches exclusively in boat metaphors. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to like about the Ohio State side of this one. I'm going to go the other way on Northwestern Michigan State. I, I, I'm just going to go play the play the spread. Northwestern minus three. You can find that uh, at Bet MGM. I don't trust Michigan State anymore. Um, I mean, not that there's like boatloads of talent on the Northwestern roster. Um, but but I, I think perennially Northwestern is, is extremely well coached, kind of a Wisconsin junior in some ways uh, in terms of maximizing the talent that they have. Academics as well. Academics, yeah, more of a Wisconsin senior uh, in terms of academics. Uh, Oklahoma, minus 31 and a half. We touched on that one earlier. Big number, um, but but you know the amount of talent um, is pretty much overwhelming on the Oklahoma side. Penn State, plus five and a half. Uh, we, we went into detail on that one. I like USC to cover two touchdowns. You can get that 14-point spread also at BetMGM. Uh, that's, again, against San Jose State. I don't have a pick on UGA Clemson. Uh, I, I'm not going to dole out any advice, but but I feel like you and I should at least put something on the record. Uh, give me the winner and give me the final score. Let's go Georgia 34, okay. Clemson 31. 34-31 Georgia. I like the I'm over. Gonna go Hmm. I'm going to go 38-28, Georgia. All right, let's go. We're unanimous on the dogs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.